You're listening to a podcast of Master Your Finances with me, Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. Another day, another dollar, and our certified financial planner professional, Kurt Baker, will give you the tips you need to turn that single into a sea of green with Master Your Finances. Whether you have enough to get by or too much in your pockets, Kurt Baker and his weekly guests are here to show you how to manage it all. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment, LLC. Now listen up, because it's time to get a hold of those money matters and master your finances. Welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances. By Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I'm Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional located in Princeton, New Jersey. I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609 716 4700. And in 2015, Deborah Hallisey became her mother's caregiver as she took on the roles of financial advisor, advocate, social director, as well as other continuing role as a daughter, she found herself asking, where do I start? Deborah brought 25 years of experience as a consultant building and enhancing corporate training programs for Fortune 500 companies to the problem, and in the process, learned many other people are in a similar situation, caring for a parent, a sibling, or significant other. She used her knowledge she gained to develop Advocate for Mom and Dad.com. In her business, Deborah blogs on caregiving issues, consults with family caregivers, and recently published the book, Your Caregiver Relationship Contract. Uh, Deborah, I appreciate you coming on. I, I, as I told you when I met you first at a, at a chamber networking event, I, I think this is a really, really important subject that oftentimes gets discussed like a little bit too late. <laughs> so I think it's great that you've really kind of taken this on. And um, and we really need, I mean, as we're aging, I, I'm 58 right now, so I'm getting kind of in that area where you're really kind of thinking about it yourself. It's it's far enough, it's not that far away where you don't have to at least kind of think about that. But other of us, but we also have parents, right? So I have, uh, you know, parents that are older. And so all these things are starting to happen. And many of us are not as prepared as we should be. And even being in the business, I don't think people in my profession are necessarily as well advised on what they need to be doing as far as they get here. So what are kind of your thoughts um, about this? And what was your experience when this first happened to you? Can you kind of tell us what that was like? Sure, absolutely. And and thank you for having me, Kurt. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about a subject that's near and dear to my heart. So in 2014, my dad was um, diagnosed with a congestive heart failure, and I was his caregiver, going to the doctors with him. And he was my mother's caregiver. She's legally blind with mobility issues. And so I started to support him in caring for my mom. We lost my dad in February of 2015. And in October of that year, I lost my job due to caregiving issues, which is not an unusual story. Uh, And it really, I really decided at that point to not go back into corporate, but just found this company called Advocate for Mom and Dad and to help other caregivers figure out the answers to the question, where do I start and what do I do next? And that's really an outgrowth. When I was trying to figure out my mother's care plan, how we were going to keep her in her home, how I was going to keep her safe and healthy, I asked everybody I knew, including complete strangers in the grocery store line, what did you do? What are the resources you found? 
And then we, I kind of, with my mom, we picked and chose what was going to work for her. And in doing that, at one point, my mother said to me, you've learned so much, you should share it with people. And that's really how the blog and the business got started. Well, blogging is great because you're telling like really real time what's going on. So uh, any interesting things that kind of came up as you were going on through the blogging that maybe you weren't kind of expecting or some responses to that? I mean, that's a very, you know, that's an interesting platform to start with. It is because it allows you to be incredibly honest and incredibly vulnerable. And my mom is generous in allowing me to write about our experiences together. Uh, So I write about what it is to be her caregiver and, and that's interesting enough how the book came about, because there were about five articles that just resonated with my readers. And one was literally called, What's Your Relationship Contract? And that's because I, at some point in this journey, I realized that how we were in relationship as mother-daughter had changed when I became her caregiver. And so it required having some really hard conversations, and it required understanding what her expectations were and setting boundaries. I also wrote about how to say yes to help, to ask for and say yes to help. I wrote about the first boundary I ever set with my mother, which was an absolute doozy. Uh, I wrote about how you present change to them, the language matters. And, and all of that just came together in this book where it's, it's not only lessons learned, but I wanted it to be really practical. So at the end of every chapter, there's actually a worksheet where you can practice what the chapter talked about or questions to kind of ask yourself or ask the person you're caring for so you can come to a better understanding. So I'm envisioning... Um I've never had to care for my parents directly, but I do remember they cared for me a lot when I was younger. So going through kind of a reverse, now when I was an adult, they become more peers, friends, you know, you're still their, you know, their sons or daughter, but that let that, I think that relationship becomes more of a friendship. uh, I think in adult life, at least it did for me, but I, I would find it odd a little bit, even though I have a very close relationship with my father still living. I would find that very different. And so what did you experience when you went from being the daughter and now you're kind of, it's kind of a flip role, right? And and so is that a little, I feel like a a little bit like a fish out of water, so to speak, in in some ways. Well, I I think it's really interesting. One of the lessons I learned is um, too often when you become your parent's caregiver, you try to parent them. And that's the number one rule in the book. Don't parent your parent. You're not. They are, you're, they're not your parent. They're fully functioning. And, and I have to say that this book is not written from the perspective if your loved one has some sort of dementia. This is really written from the perspective of their full capabilities. They're just stubborn. And it's hard to get them to do what you think is the right People thing are not to stubborn. do. Is that, you oh, yeah. Live to be stubborn? <laughs> oh, yeah. My mom's half Italian. Trust me. My mom's Italian. Trust me. She's stubborn. Okay. Um, but, but we make the mistake of trying to parent our parents and say, and use the terminology like, you should do this. You must do this. And that is just going to make them dig in their heels. So, my first rule is don't parent your parents. Here are some techniques and strategies to work together to become a team. It should be collaborative. I it should think. be collaborative. Right. And I think what happens so often when we become caregivers, our first concern is their safety. And so because it is, we tend to come through it that lens. And in that lens, 
we can take away their autonomy. And when we try and do that, they're just going to dig in their heels. Well, that's kind of interesting. Because when you're a child, I think parents think the same way. You want the child to be safe, but you also want the child to experience things so they they do things on their own so they learn and develop. I would suspect that's the same when we're older. Maybe there's certain things we can't do, but you still want to do as much as you can. Absolutely. Right? You still want to do as many possible things as you possibly can because you feel better about yourself, obviously. Yeah. And you stay healthier, I would suspect. The more things you actually do mentally and physically, the better your health is going to be overall, right? Well, that and that's 100% true. So there's still this underlying concern with safety. But then on top of that is they still need to hold on to some sense of independence. And so... I'll give you a really uh, terrific example. Um, early in this caregiving journey, I read a book by David Salih called How to Say It to Seniors. And what he what he says is, and I found this to be true, is after the age of 70, seniors tend to hold on to control tighter than ever because they've lost so much. Health, mobility, people in their world that know their story. And that the other thing they're doing is they're processing their legacy. And that's not, oh, I'm going to leave my money. That's rethinking their life and coming to different conclusions. And this is where you say to them, you know, mom, we need to or we should. And they go on a completely different tangent about your, you know, Aunt Louise, right? Because they're processing what happened at that point. So reading that book helped me to understand that when I, when I have a conversation with my mother, that it's the words I choose and the way I ask her to make a change really, really matters. So it's not the you should and the you must. It's the really saying to her, you know, here's an example. Mom, I've noticed that there's some stuff expired in your fridge. Um, I'm concerned maybe you're going to eat something that's going to make you sick. I cook every Sunday how about if I bring, I'd like to bring some stuff over to you. What's your favorite food? So that's different than you need to clean out this refrigerator. That's expressing an observation. I've noticed that things are um, uh, expired. A concern, I'm, I'm afraid that you might get ill. And then an open-ended question, not that they can say yes or no to, but what's your favorite food? I'll cook it and bring it for you. Mm -hmm. That completely turns the conversation around and actually starts a conversation that may go off on tangents about their favorite fruit as a child versus how they cooked for your dad, but that's opening up the lines of communication. So always thinking about what do I observe? What can I suggest? What's an open-ended question? Um, it's the kind of thing where a great example from the book from David Solie was people were saying, Mom, you have to move out of here. Your bathroom is upstairs. You're going to get hurt coming down. You must do this. When they gave her back control and they said, we, are, we know you want to stay here, and so how about if we put a bathroom downstairs? And then they just left her with that thought. She came back three days later and said, you know what? It's too much money. I will never recoup the money. I put into this house to put a bathroom downstairs. Let's look at assisted living. It's always about giving them control, options, dialogue. Yeah, you sound like more like an advisor than uh, somebody overseeing the situation, right? So you're more of an advisory and consultant type role as opposed to being more dictatorial, I guess, right? right? Because and say, you're hey, a this partner. You this, right, right. You're trying to get to a team. It, it makes sense. Anytime you're dealing with care, uh, any, you, you want to have a partnership because if they're not buying into the care, 
they're less likely to follow through with it as well, right? Exactly. So exactly. You've been listening to Master Your Finances. Uh, we're going to be right back. It's not about the money, money, money. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Welcome Master Your Finances. Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with uh, Deborah Hallisey, and we're talking about, I guess, the relationship between your the parent and the and the child as you start to become their caregiver. And one of the things you touched on in the last segment that I think comes up a lot, and I wondered, and I think you might do with some of the techniques you described before, is that some of them become like really safety issues. Like, um, and you might even have maybe two adults in the house, mm-hmm. right? And one is like, you can no longer walk up the stairs, but the person is like, I can walk up and down the stairs. And maybe they have a temporary setback, right? Maybe there's a period of time where, you know, something happened, but they, but how much, at what point do you, do you kind of get, or driving. That's another one you hear a lot about. Like maybe they don't want to, you know, they're concerned about the driving ability, but they're like, I think I can drive. So what, how do you frame that conversation when things like that come up, which could be, which could be serious um, if, if not handled appropriately? Yeah, no, it, it absolutely. So the, the one thing I, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to start off by answering. The one thing I will say is don't bury your head in the sand. If you're, as Rosalind Cotter says, if you're not a caregiver now, you will be. And so understanding that, that you, and, and when I say caregiver, I'm not saying that you're living in your parents' home or your aging loved one's home 24-7. You are still a caregiver even if they're in a facility because you're the first line of defense. And like, I'm my, I'm my mom's caregiver. She has 24-7 live-in care, except every other weekend I'm with her for four days, every doctor's appointment, every vet visit, every family function, you know. And so I am her caregiver, even though I'm not with her full-time 24-7. And so one of the things I'm really big about is not burying your head in the sand. So before you ever get to that point, I want you to open a dialogue. And here's what I mean by that. And that is saying you know, to mom and dad, gee, you know, when does your garbage and recycling have to go out? Because if you guys decided to go for away for a week, I'd want to know that I can be able to help you. So if you start a list of how they live their life, when, what day do they go grocery shopping? When does the garbage go out? When does the recycling go out? Who is your plumber in case you're gone and I need to call them for you? With that gives you is the understanding of how they're currently living their life so you can support them as long as you possibly can to continue that way. But it also means when you start to see a change that you can say, you know, let's talk about can we ask the neighbor to put the garbage out for you because it's going to be an ice storm tomorrow night and I'm concerned about your safety. So you start to see who the people are, what the, what the tasks are that need to be accomplished, and then you can start to talk about who can we pull in to do that. And I call that my support peeps, mm-hmm. right? These are the people who are going to support my mom and going to support me. So that's the first thing. Start that dialogue and a very natural conversation about how do they live their life just in case I happened, had to help you. Then the other thing I will tell you is there's, there's actual... In the healthcare system, there's something called activities of daily living and instrumental activities of daily living. You can Google them. What it is is activities of daily living is can they shower alone? Can they get dressed alone? Do they need help cooking? 
So it's the things that they need to live in their home. And then the instrumental is what happens to the community. Can they go to the bank? Can they go shopping? Can they continue to pay their bills? And if you start, if you know what they are and you are constantly observing them, when something changes, that's that little trigger in your head, okay, they're not going to the grocery store that often. Let's have a conversation about do you need help or how, or can I, well, I'm going to the shop, right, mom, what can I pick up for you? And so if you are on top of that and you already have the dialogue, then sometimes those conversations about safety become a little easier using those same techniques. One of the things, and the other thing is when you're having those conversations, you start to understand where their boundaries are, right? If somebody says to you, I don't want, I'm never, I don't ever want anybody living in my home, and you're realizing that they need help, that's not where you start the conversation. You start the conversation around, you know, we could have somebody who could come in and just do light housekeeping for you for three or four hours a week to take some of the burden off. Let's talk about what that looks like and may, maybe why we might want to do that. So you're understanding where their boundaries are. The other thing it allows you to do is everybody has unspoken expectations. Here's where I found my mom's. Here's where it really hit me. When my dad was in the hospital for two weeks, November of 2014, I was at the hospital every day by 7 a.m. to see the doctors. I would be home at lunchtime because I was still working first full time as a consultant. I would go back to have dinner with him, and then I would come home and work till 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning because I needed to get stuff done for my clients. What the unspoken expectation was on my mother's part was that I could continue to care for her in the same way my dad did. And their relationship contract included a bedtime routine that I could not keep up. What happened was I, we were sitting down the den and I fell asleep and my mother couldn't wake me for 10 minutes, could not wake me until the dogs barked. And it scared us both. I needed to do her blood, put her eye drops in, have her brush her teeth. If she needed to eat after blood, get food for her, go in the bedroom, turn the light on, close the blinds, make everything was set up, set her clothes out. I was exhausted just thinking about what I needed to do before she could sleep. And one night I had had it and I said, mommy, I can't keep doing this. We have got to change something in the routine. Can we put your toothbrush and toothpaste in the kitchen so I don't have to bring it in from mm. the bathroom? every night and bring it back. And she was like, well, I don't know where we'd put it. So we negotiated where. Taking Kurt, taking that one thing off my plate, my head was going to explode. It was just this release of pressure. Mm -hmm. And it showed me that we could negotiate differently and that we needed to talk about what her expectations were and mine. Because I had my own home. I was working. There was no way I could care for her the way my dad did. And that was her unspoken expectation, as it was mine, because I didn't know any better. And so once you know what the expectations are, you can start to set boundaries. So even around safety, once you know what their expectations are, their expectations is they're going to stay in this house, then you can start to say, okay, that works, Mom, but let's talk about, let's talk about maybe some things we can do that will make you even safer. You know, there's... There's these great handlebars, you know, grab bars 
they're not hospital-like, maybe we want to talk about putting one at the front door so as you're coming and going, you have something a little sturdier to hold on to. It just opens up a world of conversation. So just kind of like one little, one incident, one thing at a time that you might be concerned about, and if they're involved in that conversation, because I mean, we, you know, both, as long as you have, you know, cognitive function, you're going to have, you're going to, when something is pointed out as a as an issue, a potential issue, at least you're going to think about it. And if you're honest with yourself, I mean, I don't think I would want to fall, right? I mean, I don't want to fall, but maybe I hadn't really thought about it um, the way maybe somebody observing me might think about it. Right. Just like anything else. I mean, if somebody's training me in the gym, they're going to see something I don't necessarily see. They're like, oh, by the way, maybe you need to like do this a little differently. Well, maybe... You know, you know, I'm noticing maybe that's a little tough, right, going in and out of the front of the door. Maybe there's a way we can help you with that a little yeah. bit. Oh, absolutely. And, and it's funny you said it, more than one conversation. I call, the, I call it the drip method. And that's what I use with my mom. I'll start a conversation, and I won't, I'll let her think about it. We might talk about it a little bit, but I'll make a statement or start a conversation. This is an observation. This is a concern. And I let it go. And every single conversation, a time and an opportunity presents itself again, and we'll, and I'll say it again, maybe in a slightly different way. And eventually, we have the conversation we need to have. Can I tell you a funny story? Sure. So, so I was trying to get my mother to agree to an Alexa, to an assistive technology. And the reason for it was because with her eyesight, she can't dial the phone. And I'm like, Mommy, I can get you an Alexa, and then you could just say, call Pat, and it's going to dial a cell phone for me. No, 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 I don't want that in my house, none of that. First conversation was in the living room. Weeks later, the second conversation is in the kitchen because she's cursing because she can't dial the phone. Mm -hmm. Mom, you know, think about the Alexa. We can do that. Well, what does that mean? What would it cost? Right. Talk about the cost. Then we go see her sister-in-law who has one. Aunt Pat, look at that. You have an Alexa. This is terrific. Do you like it? I love it. And she demonstrates it for my mom. And she tells me, ask it a question. I have it play a Benny Goodman song. We have an hour's drive home from my aunt's house, and I don't mention it. But two days later, she says to me, and let me preface this by saying my brother lives 12 hours away. Two days later, she says to me, if I ask Alexa what Kevin is doing, will she tell me? Honest to God, that was my initial reaction to Maybe, giggle. I don't know. Never <laughs> know. I said, "Well, Mom, she 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 can't see what he's doing, so no, she can't tell you." Not that they disclose to us, right? At least. Right, exactly. So we don't say anything again. <laughs> then I get the opportunity to be part of a pilot project and get one for free. Oh wow! I come back from a meeting and I have it with me, and I said, "Mom, you know that Alexa we were talking about?" She says, "Yeah." I said, "Would you like to be part of a pilot?" It's three months. If you don't like it, we send it back. If you don't want to do it now, we send it back, and it's free. Well, if it's free. Right, exactly. That's a good price point. So I put an Alexa in, and guess what? She doesn't use it for the phone mm -hmm. because there's no privacy when her caregiver is there. But I bought three smart plugs, and every single lamp in her living room is attached to the smart plug. Oh. And for the first time in years, my mother can turn lamps off and on and not wait for me or her caregiver to do it. And recently she said to me, you know that lamp on the other side of the bedroom? We never turn that on because I have no way of turning that off. Can we put something in there that would let me do that? Got a covered mom. Second Alexa in the bedroom with a smart plug. 
It lights up that side of the room as she's coming in. In fact, she's funny. Now she asks Alessa multiple times during the night, what time is it? And says, good morning. And then tells me what Alexa said to her that morning or that evening. And she's really starting to interact and use it, asking questions of it. Unbelievable. But it was the drip method. Oh, that's amazing. My fear would be that I have a pile of packages in front of my house every morning. (laughs) If she could, she would. Send me this. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny. She gets recordings from the blind and she's frustrated because now they're putting eight books at a time on it. And they like and so because there's eight books on one Mm. tape, they don't send as many. So I said to her, you know, mom, we can listen. You can listen to a book on Alexa and we can plug your earphones in. Okay. And she's like, well, I don't want to pay for it. And I said, well, let me look into Kindle Unlimited. Now, I'll buy it. Right. I'll hold on to Kindle Unlimited. She doesn't need to pay for it. Right. But that was the first step in the conversation because she said to me, I'm frustrated with the books. There'll be more with the drip method. And I can guarantee you that eventually she'll be listening to books on Alexa with her headphones. Oh, that is fantastic. Uh, you've been listening to Master Your Finance, and we're going to be right back. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Finances. Finances. I'm Kurt Baker here with Del- Deborah Hallisey, and we've been talking about the drip method before we uh, before the break and how, you know, it just I think it's like with any concern in a relationship, right? You don't want to come on really strong to somebody and say, hey, you know, we, we have to, like, sell the car because I don't like whatever, you know, and let's buy a new one. And it's more like, hey, look. Is there something we can do, right? Or, you know, any major decisions you're going to make in a relationship, especially as they get older, we have to still recognize that we all have opinions, we all have feelings, we all have, you know, you you may be observing something, but that person is observing something too from their perspective. And so somewhere in the middle you have to kind of meet, but if you kind of at least put the idea, they could think about, well, you know, maybe we need to do something with the car or fix the deck or put a new fence up or whatever the case is, and now they kind of see it. Right. And now they have a little bit more focused on it. Then they may be like, hey, and actually, that reminds me, like, my wife noticed like a tree in the backyard that was like dead and I didn't even notice it. And she's like, well, maybe we should take care of that tree. I'm like, I don't know what tree you're talking about. And then I look, I go, you know what? She's right. We, I think we need to take care of the tree. So we took care of it. I mean, it was kind of like I didn't even I didn't even notice it, right. frankly, because of where it was situated. Um, so I think the same thing goes on here. So getting back kind of the safety side of things, I know. There's a certain point where, yeah, you want to have conversation. I guess like just with like any relationship, but like I mean, when you talk to your kids, you want them to be safe, but you want them to do things as well. So when we get older, if we've been doing something our whole life, whether it's walking up and down the stairs or driving or some other activity, how do you kind of have those conversations? Because I think the individual definitely needs to have buy-in to whatever that final decision is on what you're going to do, it, whenever possible, I guess. Yeah, no, whenever possible, yeah. And, you know, the truth is if there's an event, you may have no choice. But if you're right. having the ongoing dialogue and you're seeing something coming down the road, you can. So, again, it is it is absolutely the drift method. It's the opportunity to say, I've observed this, I'm concerned about this, and kind of a, an open-ended question or, or, or choices. And And when I talk about the drift method, I talk about, Time, place, and motivation. So where are you having this conversation? That's the place. And, it, you know, we've been talking about parents and our children. The truth of the matter is my mother and I have had some of our best conversations in a car. We're usually going someplace fun. 
you know, it's enclosed. We can we can talk freely. Hard to escape, too. Hard to escape. You don't have to look <laughs> each other in the eyes if you're getting angry with one another, right? So, you know, having a conversation in an environment like that about any topic is really important. The other thing I will say as a caregiver is I was cutting my mom's hair one time. And there's something about the intimacy of touch that opens up the intimacy of communication. And in that particular example, my mother started telling me stories about her childhood I had never heard before. Mm. And so if you're doing something, helping them, you know, cutting hair, uh, putting nail polish on, you know, whatever you're doing, if you're just sitting and, and massaging their hands, that intimacy of touch opens up the communication where maybe you can say, you know, this has really been worrying me. This is what I've observed. You know, what, what are your thoughts on this? Like, what, what would you want to see happen? And open that up. So it's, it's the place that you do it. It's the time that you do it. Don't observe something and in that moment of frustration or anger, bring up the subject because it's not going to go well. Bite your tongue. Well, they're going to shut down immediately. They're going to, exactly, exactly. (laughs) The wall's going to go up. Walls are going to go up. But in that moment, particularly if they're doing something that's unsafe, our knee-jerk reaction is say, get off of that ladder. What are you thinking? Right. Oh, yeah. Right? Sure. Sure. Right. That, that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> that's true. And that's not when you want to have the conversation of you can't continue to live here because for whatever reasons. Right. So time, place and then motivation. Right. So understanding what motivates them. So back to Alexa, you know, what motivated my mom was the fact that it was free. Right. There what, you go. What motivates my what motivated my I'm mom? I'm with your mom on that, by the way. Right? Yeah. <laughs> what motivated my mom to allow me to put um, do, uh uh, grab bars at the front door was, I was concerned her going in and out, you know, her mobility is declining and mom, this would be something that was really sturdy for you to hang on to. Whereas the door moves, she could see that. So when you start to talk about things like driving, right? So what's their motivation? Some people are motivated by money. So Mm -hmm. maybe the conversation is around, you know, my insurance just went up again and gas is now three something. Wow, I, it's so expensive to have a car. Mom, is that an expense you really want to still have? Or given Uber and Lyft and all those options now, you know, what would that look like for you? Would you consider that? And so that might be motivation for them. Um, you know, safety, talking about, wow, you know, I just heard about this happened, you know, and they were driving at night. Do you still feel comfortable driving at night? Or is that something we can talk about if you need to go someplace, we can find a support person to help you do that? So it's what motivates them. And then it's understanding it's not going to be a one-and-done conversation. Um, And sometimes they don't hear it well from a child, but if there's a trusted family member that's a peer... Sometimes you can go to them very quietly and say, I'm really concerned about dad's driving. Would you feel comfortable just having a conversation with him, how he feels he's doing with this? Um, And truth of the matter is sometimes because it's car equals independence, it means having a conversation with their doctor. Mm -hmm. And I tell everybody, if you're having a conversation with a doctor, talk to the doctor ahead of time privately. Don't say... Don't allow the doctor to say, do you still feel comfortable driving? Because, of course, they're going to say yes. 
But if you have a conversation with the doctor ahead of time and saying, hey, you know, how are you doing driving at night? I'm working with other patients right now who are finding that to be a bit of a problem. You know, what's it like for you? And, and so have a very, don't have the doctor ask a question about a yes or no. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, you can, you, there's, the doctor can have them take a test. There's courses they can take. Um, you know, you can, I, and this is actually in the book, a whole section on driving. Oh. Places you can go to privately that if you're concerned, you can let them know and they can reach out. So there are options, but it, it's, it's part of that drip method, time, place, motivation, open dialogue. Um, yeah, it could just be, you know, dad, does it make you nervous driving at night? And that, I would pick that to be when we were doing something that, a social activity maybe that bound us together like cards. Mm-hmm. Or if I was, you know, in my case, my mom's cutting her hair. You know, where there's the quiet and the space and the intimacy and that shared activity. That's when I would bring it up. I, I agree 100%. I mean, that's great because they're, they're involved in the, in the solution, so to speak, which I think is really good. And um, so I noticed you've mentioned a couple, I guess when the relationship changes, you've got some things that you have to now be a little bit more uh, involved in the decisions, but it also sounds like you had a lot of positive experiences by being the caregiver as well. Do you want to tell us how that's like the good things that have happened? Because people talk about it's really tough to be a caregiver, and I understand that. So what have been some of the positive things that you've gained from doing that caregiving, having a caregiver-type relationship where you're a little bit closer to your mom in a little bit different way? Yeah, I, I, will, I, will, be, I will tell you my mother and I struggled going up. We, my dad and I were very, very close, and my mother was not. And when I first became my mother's caregiver, I really struggled with resentment. I really did resentment and anger because my life was no longer my own. And, and let's just say, you know, my dad died and I was closer. Now I'm left with my mom who frustrates me no end. Right. So there's all those feelings. So as part of this journey, because truly I can say because of approaching, well, it, one of the things I recognized and it was, it's just coming together of five years being a caregiver. I recognized that I own, when my mom says something to me, suddenly becoming that eight-year-old again. Mm. Like, holy crap, that was just my eight-year-old lashing out. You're an adult, stop it. So part of it is just self-awareness. Mm. Like when that eight-year-old rears its ugly head to pull back and stop the conversation or apologize or come at it a different way. So this is really hard work. Oh. And you have to be willing to do it. So recognizing your own triggers and figuring out what to do about them, recognizing your own emotions, and being very deliberate about... I, and one of the things, and there's a chapter in the book about your emotions called you have to name them, to claim them, and change them. And once... I actually talk about the seven... Kind of like... I'm old enough to remember the George Carlin seven words you couldn't say on TV... I talk about the seven emotions I never wanted to admit to. Oh. And I've admitted to those emotions. I've recognized them. I've claimed them. And then there's the flip side. I'll give you an example. My mom insists on putting the dishes away at night, right? Now, I've been with her. I've had crazy busy task, focused days. 
Putting the dishes away means she puts away the things she can reach, which is not much. Oh, okay. Which means when I get up the next morning, I have a kitchen full of stuff I have to deal with before I can do anything else. And I and and it would aggravate me and I would resent it. I would just like <laughs> Okay, that's the emotion. I'm gonna name it. I'm gonna claim it. How do I change it? Guess what? My mom is still contributing to our family to the best that she can. Right. Because she's got this wheel, she's got this chair in the kitchen with wheels on it. So she motors around the kitchen, go into the sink, go into the refrigerator, go into the stove, go into other places. But she can't stand up with mobility long enough to put things up away that's high. I have to. Mm-hmm. She is doing the best she can and she's contributing in the way she can. And when I flip that lens, I can let go of the anger and the resentment. Well, that's. Actually, very amazing. Yeah, that's, I guess it's the self-awareness, and so she is helping out, and that's uh, that is really good. Uh, you've been listening to Master Your Finances, and we're going to be right back. It's not about the money, money, money. It's all about how you manage your money. Now let's get back to learning how from Kurt Baker of Certified Wealth Management and Investment with Master Your Welcome Finances. Back to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker here with Deborah Alessie, and we're talking about um, your relationship with your mother which I guess was a little tougher when you were younger. And it sounds like um, you've been making some progress where you've got your emotions and you have to name them, to claim them, to change them, right? So you mentioned the kitchen, which is great. So you identified that and said, hey, well, at least she's contributing, right? Maybe she's not doing everything exactly the way I'd want to have it done, but she is adding to it. And so now you're a little bit more prepared, I guess, mentally at least. And I don't think that's easy. I mean, we kind of said that, but I mean, we get kind of in our routines and our set and what we want to do. Um, so, how has that led like into your relationship long term with your mother? Uh, any changes? I hope I'm hoping at least. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> I, you know, I, I said earlier, my mom and I struggled growing up, and I never ever thought we'd get to the point where we had as wonderful a relationship as we do now. I mean, we really are a team. I'm not going to tell you we don't argue and have harsh words. That's part of being in relationship with one another. But it's, it is such, it's such a good relationship, better than when I was a child, um, and I'm grateful for it. And I, and I work hard, and so does she work hard. Um, and that's the thing that I think that's so interesting with this. I think we think that our, our loved ones who are older can't change, but they can and they do. And so, you know, my mom was one of these people who never really talked about emotions or never really said anything. She, Mom, if you hear this, she could be very passive aggressive. I don't know. Uh, we, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you're upset with me, we're both putting our big girl panties on and we're talking about mm-hmm. it. And so that that are really our relationship is so much better. Um, and it's interesting too. Part of it is my mom and dad had a very traditional marriage. My dad did everything. And when I became my mother's caregiver, I said to her, "There are no more secrets. Like you're going to know if there's something in this house that needs to be fixed, and you're going to know the cost, and together we're going to make a decision." And actually asking her to take responsibility for things she never had before changed her in a lot of ways because it made her a part of the process. I'll tell you a quick story. 
The first boundary I set my mother was a doozy. And knowing, looking back now, I would have handled it differently. Was had three months at home trying to get her settled, and we were looking for a live-in caregiver. And and they had, you know, her big thing was they had a drive. She wanted a companion, and she wanted them to speak English really well. But every time we talked to somebody, whether or not they had a drive changed, whether or not they had to speak English really well changed. And one day, two and a half months into it, again, driving was a must-have, and my head exploded, and I thought, she is playing me. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her, and I said, Mom, I'm done. In three weeks, I've got to go back to traveling and being to Houston. Every time we talk, you change what the parameters are. You are now responsible for finding your caregiver. I will support you. I will help help you find the resources, but you are doing it. And she did. And that one thing changed the dynamics of our relationship tremendously. And there have been other times where she's, you know, I was making all the phone calls. I said, Mommy, I can't make all these phone calls. You need to take some of this on. So in asking her to take more and more responsibility, we became more and more of a team. Now, I will tell you that I have it easier than a lot of other people because although I have a brother, he's 12 hours away, so he's not involved in the day to the day. It's just mom and I. He contributes in other ways, and we're in agreement on how to care for her. But I don't have siblings who are competing for what's the best with mom. That makes this so much harder, and I recognize that. Yeah, because I can see a situation where you have you know either two or three, even if you had just two, and one might say, I think mom should do this, and the other one's going to say, nope, I think mom should do that. And then you're like, and, now then, and then mom's going to bounce back and forth. I mean, I've seen situations where if you have one sibling talking to an, a, the parent, they're going to say, yes, yes, let's do that. And then an hour later, they meet with the other sibling. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah we, I agree. We should do oh, that. Yeah. So both say, well, mom agreed to this, and right? no, mom agreed to that. Right. And you both got a yes, but two yeses don't. On different items, on different answers is not going to fit together. not work, right? It's not going to fit together. Well, I think that's, I think, two things. I will say this. I said, and let's face it, sometimes our parents work us, right? Because they know one child will agree to this. They're like children working their parents. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) It's just upside down. So here's the interesting thing. When I talk about a relationship contract, when you become a caregiver, even if it's multiple caregivers, not only does the contract with the person you're caring for change, But that relationship contract you had with everybody in your life changes. So all the skills that you're using with your caregiver about the drip method and about talking and about understanding what's going on really should be employed with your siblings. Mm -hmm. Understanding full well that the dynamics of who's the oldest comes into play, the dynamics of who's got the skill set to do one thing better than the other, the dynamics of mommy always liked you best, all of that comes into play into here, which really complicates it. But if you can come together as adults, as siblings, and you can work on your relationships that you stand as a united front to the parent, everything everything can be successful. I, I will also tell you that I talk about family of origin versus family of choice. And family of origin is exactly what you think, your, your parents, your siblings. There are going to be times when for the primary caregiver, the family of origin simply cannot step up in the way you want them to. 
for whatever the reason, whether they're not there physically or whether they there's bad blood and they don't want to. It is what it is. You cannot change that. So I talk about who's your family of choice? Who are the people around you who can pick up the slack that that other person that you would expect to doesn't for whatever the reason? Let it go. Find your family of choice, bring them into this circle, and then work with them to support you, to be part of the caregiving, to be the person you vent to, whatever it takes. I've too often I've seen, I've worked with families where caregiving tore them apart. You have to be really deliberate and really careful about that. But guess what? Part of that conversation with your siblings are what are the unspoken expectations? And you have the right to set boundaries, even with a brother or a sister. And that's okay. Oh, I have to agree with that. And I think uh, you're bringing up a lot of things. I think communication is really key here. So Because sometimes people feel like they're kind of left out of everything. So I think um, I think what I'm hearing here is some is that, cause, I mean, I'm envisioning family. I know just with my own family, like, like my brother and I have different strengths, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I we, we would just say, hey, which one do you do better? And we would just, and one of us would just do it. It, it. It's not a big deal. But, I mean, sometimes I think they have to actually think about that for a minute and say, who really is the best qualified to kind of take on this particular item as far as a need might be? Because you most likely have it there. Or maybe, as you said, the kind of the extended family, the, the family of choice you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be, you know, biological, right? It could be a friend. It could be a, 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 and things like that. And I know that structure does exist, which is great. And I think that that's great to maintain that because you kind of help each other, I've noticed, right, back and forth. Absolutely. For those people that help you, you probably are doing things for them as well. Absolutely. You Absolutely. still have capabilities, obviously. Yeah. 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 yeah, and that brings up a topic we haven't talked about, and that is asking for and saying yes to help. That's a big part oh, of, sure. being a, a, of being a caregiver. And so there's a couple things that I learned. And first of all, I've learned that – when there's an emergency, like when my dad was in the hospital, people were wonderful about asking if they can help. And so I'm going to tell you that in that emergency, say yes, right? So, so there's a couple things. First of all, if you've been working with your loved one and you know what they need to live their life, like when the garbage goes out, when they need to go shopping, et cetera, you actually have the start of things, how, how people can help you in that list alone. And so when someone says, how can I help? Be ready. And then I'm going to give you an acronym for my training day, SMART, the SMART objective, right? It's got to be sustainable, actionable, timing, achievable, right? So don't say, can you walk the dog for me? Because that's too open-ended. But you can say, can you walk the dog for me on Tuesdays or Thursdays between 5 and 7 because I'm at the hospital? Now, they can say yes or no to Tuesdays and Thursdays. Mm-hmm. You know they've done it because the dog's not dancing around the house trying to go out to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you know, and you're playing to their strength. Know what their strengths are. Make it actionable that somebody can actually say, okay, yes, I can do this or not. And reserve the right to come back to them if, they, if you say there's nothing right now, but I'm going to come back to you when I do need help. People, no one turned me down. That's amazing. Yeah, no, that's great because, I mean, because, you, again, you're, at, you're being very specific about it, right? So as far as – and it's a lot easier to say yes or no. Um, yeah. When – because if somebody just said walk the dog, because I, I have dogs, so I have five dogs. I mean, to me, that would be 
I, I'm like, wait a minute, that's like a full-time job, basically. Yes. <laughs> right, you know? right. I mean, they need to go out all the time. So, right. so if, but if you just tell me I need to come after work and let them out, uh, that's a that's yes. Not, that's not a problem. On the right. way home, I could definitely do that. Or you negotiate and say, I yeah. can't do it Tuesday. I can do right. it Friday. Right? Right. 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 I I figured this out when my dad was in the hospital and I was trying to get people to come at lunchtime to be with my father so I go home and work. And I was talking to my cousin and I said, can you go see dad at the hospital? And there was like silence. I said, is that not good for you? She said, well, I have to be honest. I'm not good at hospitals. No problem. If you come and be with mommy, I can go to the hospital and not feel bad about leaving her again. And that's exactly what I did. So the hospital was not my cousin's strength, but being with my mother was perfect solution for me. Well, this has been amazing, Deborah. If you want to give us any final thoughts before we cut off, I think it was an amazing uh, time here. Anything you want to leave us with as far as what, did, what best practices for mom and dad? Yeah, I think, I think the one thing I want to say to you is don't bury your head in the sand. If you're picking out groceries for mom and dad while you're doing yours, you're a caregiver. You're going to the doctors with them just to be the second set of ears. You're a caregiver. Don't bury your head in the sand. Prepare for it. Start that open dialogue. Uh, know what they need to live their life, and then you're ready to rock and roll. All right. Well, thanks again very much. You've been listening to Master Finances. I am Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional. You can listen to this podcast as well as all of our podcasts by going to uh, www.masteryourfinances.us. And remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. It's hard to keep up with the fast-paced financial world, but because of Master Your Finances, you have a head start. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, our certified financial planner professional, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Tune in next week, Sunday at 9 a.m. to get a boost on your financial planning. But if you missed a week, you can check out past episodes. Just go to masteryourfinances.us to check out past episodes and more. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment LLC. Money doesn't grow on trees, but it can grow your portfolio. Thanks to Kurt Baker and Master Your Finances. On Sundays at 9 a.m. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronx and 1077 thebronccom